Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, everybody watching online this morning. Welcome to True North. Welcome to everybody down at Mullah Luke. We put our hands together for all our crew down at Mullah Luke. Come on, give them a clap. If you're down at Mullaloo, give me a clap. Let me know you're there. If you're online, give a clap. You know, we all together, it is uh, just an awesome thing to be able to gather wherever you might be today. It is great to be with you. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Dean. I'm part of the team here at True North. And uh, great to have you with us as we approach uh, an incredibly special, significant week every year as we lead up to Easter Sunday next week, Good Friday uh, coming up ahead of us. And so this is uh, just such a special time of year. So it's great to have you here. And I want to invite you, we're in a series right now called Behold the Man. And this series is all about beholding Jesus, to see him in a fresh way. Uh, the idea of beholding is all about uh, what it looks like to almost have our, our attention just arrested and captivated by something to behold. And so we want to behold Jesus. We're trying to, uh, as, a, as a community of people, say, you know what, we just want to really, uh, especially at this time of year, we're trying to stop and just turn our eyes and our attention to who Jesus is, to all he's done. You know, this week I was reading in my uh, kind of daily, uh, just kind of scripture reading. I came across this verse in Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 4, where Jesus is giving a little instruction to his followers. So if you're watching online, you're following Jesus. If you're down Malu, if you're right here, here's Jesus' instruction to all his followers. He gives us this simple piece uh, uh, that for us to know. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid. Let me hear you say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Now, I read that, and this is Jesus kind of saying, hey, as my followers, if, if, just don't be afraid of people who maybe they've got the power to kill you and kill your body. But if that's all they can do, don't be afraid. And I read this like, okay, okay, yeah, that's easily done. Don't be afraid of it. Okay, if that's all it is, they can just kill you. Don't be afraid. And Jesus is like, that's, if that's all they can do, don't be afraid. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I thought, how many things am I afraid of in a given day uh, that boil down to not even being afraid that someone could actually, you know, kill my body, but I could be afraid sometimes just to what somebody might think about me. Sometimes I'm afraid just to what somebody might say about me. I don't always even form it in my head, but the reality is every day of all these, and I'm like, so Gia, how am I supposed to not ever be a, afraid? He says it like, no, nah, this is easy, you know? So just, just don't be afraid of people. I mean, if all they can do is kill you, <laughs> don't worry. That's all they can do. That's, that's it, really? And I thought, wow. And then I was preparing for this message, Behold the Man. And in this series, we've been observing Jesus and his encounter with Pilate, someone who could kill the body, but beyond that could do no more. And it's fascinating to just, to me, to reflect and go, okay, I, I, Lord, would you help me understand a little bit more of how to have the power to not be afraid? Now, I don't live in a world where I have to be consistently afraid of of someone with the power literally to, to kill me because of my faith or something like that. But this, the world that, that I live in and that we tend to live in in our context here, how do we live our lives in such a fearless kind of way that we do not allow uh, ourselves to be shaken by so many of the things that Jesus would say to you? Why would you be afraid of that? So, so I found myself saying, Lord, would you help me understand what allows a person to experience this? And so what we're going to look at today 
is an encounter. We're going to continue uh, this observing this conversation, this encounter between Jesus and Pilate. It's a, a moment before Jesus is going to be sent to the cross. There are kind of three big players to know about in this uh, kind of scene that we're seeing. You have these three kind of key characters, almost if you will, in this drama that's unfolding. The first one is Pilate. Pilate is the governor. You got to understand about his kind of motivations. He is, he's been set a, as a prefect or more or less a, a governor to keep the peace and order of, of this area of Judea. And so he's got a palace. He's only in town uh, because it is uh, Jewish Passover. And so he's been sent there to keep the peace. That's his job. It's what he does. He's functioning in some ways as the judge. And yet the more you watch the encounter, the more you realize he's the one, and one of the people who actually is almost being judged. You have Jesus, who's theoretically the one on trial. And yet the irony of the whole story and the way John frames it is that Jesus is the one who's actually in the position of judge, even while he stands accused. And then the third kind of main character is what we'll call the crowd. It's the, the, the Jewish leaders of the day who had turned Jesus over. And this crowd is there. And they are representing, they are like the accusers in this courtroom drama. And they are the ones saying that Jesus should be crucified. And, and this little background of the story is they want him to be crucified because he claimed to be the son of God. So the reason they want him crucified is for blasphemy, you could say. But they do not have the power to crucify. Only Rome has that power. And Blasphemy is not punishable by death in Rome, so they changed the charges to be more about treason, that he's setting himself up as a king because he claimed to have his own kingdom, so he's setting himself up against Caesar, and for that reason, that he should be crucified. Now, with all of that in mind, let's go back to this conversation. We're going to pick it up in John chapter 19 and watch an incredible dialogue take place at its heart is going to bring up this whole idea of power. John 19 verse 1 says this. Then Pilate took Jesus and he had him flogged. He had him beaten. Uh, he, he is trying to placate the crowd in some ways and punish him, but he doesn't really want to crucify him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and they went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They're mocking him for this. They slapped him in the face. And once more, Pilate came out and he said to the Jews gathered to the crowd, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no basis for a charge against him. He's the judge. He's like, I don't see it. I don't see he's done anything that he should be crucified for. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. This is where we get our phrase, Behold the man. And basically Pilate's saying, Look, he's weak. He's no threat. He has got this robe, crown of thorns. They've mocked him, beaten him. He's trying to say he's no threat. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. And now he's almost taunting the crowd because he knows they don't have the power to crucify. But the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. 
Now from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Treason. That's what he should be crucified for. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judge's seat. Because he is officially a judge in this trial at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. And finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Now we're going to come back to this conversation. It is this moment in this scene that is what leads to Jesus being crucified and taken to the cross. And in and amongst this dialogue, this interrogation, if you will, the accusations of the crowd, Pilate's interrogation of Jesus, Jesus' responses, what comes to the, the center in so many ways is the whole idea of power. Wherever you are, let me hear you say power. This passage is so much about a conflict of what power actually looks like. It's a conflict between the power in the world as we often know and experience and think about power. And then there is the power that Jesus has that allows him to do exactly what he said. To have no fear of those who could only kill the body but after that do no more. It allows him to stand there silent. It allows him to endure uh, the beatings, the floggings, what was meant for his humiliation. He has the power to endure all of it without needing to retaliate in the ways that power normally works, but to willingly go to his death on the cross for the sake of even those who are mocking and beating him. Jesus has a power that is, is entirely different from and at odds with the normal power kind of plays, power plays, power structures, power, how it works in our world. We're going to start by looking at Pilate. And while it's always easy to look and see all of his flaws and everything that made him wrong, I find it helpful to look and go, where sometimes am I tempted to be like Pilate? Pilate in this story uh, is... is has one entire framework for power. And in so many ways, it's the framework of power that is most commonly at, at play in our world. You see, for Pilate, power looked like this. I'm going to give you three uh, kind of dynamics to how you see power in Pilate's life. And, and, and you see, Pilate begins with the power of, uh, and all three are going to have Ps, so that hopefully it makes it a little easier for you. Is that good? He's Pontius Pilate, so we got two P's, and I thought all his powers should also have P. <laughs> the first kind of power that Pilate has, that's a power that we see every day in our world and that we are all tempted to cling for or grasp for or think is a genuine source of power, though it is not in fact, that's what we will see, but is the, the, the power of position. Let me hear you say position. You see, Pilate was governor. He'd been given a particular position, and he thought his position as governor made him powerful. Along with his position came 
the entire kind of authority and might of the Roman Empire. His position allowed him, as he says to Jesus, don't you know I have the power to either free you or have you crucified? He's like his power as, as being governor of this territory, that position came along with it, the access to the, the Roman armies, the soldiers. He could give you know, snap his fingers and, and people would bring him whatever he wanted. He could snap his fingers and they would take Jesus where he wanted. He could snap his fingers. His position brought him all of what we look at in this world and think of as power. The power to just kind of typically what he would experience is whatever he said is what would have happened. Because he was in charge. And his position made use of the power of force. It made use of being powerful over. If you do not listen, we will bring you know, pain upon you. We have, he had the power, the authority to, to kill the body. So this is Pilate. He is, well, what I want you to understand about Pilate is he thinks he has all this power, but what you will see if you watch him is he ends up powerless to do even the one thing he actually wants to do. His power, he thinks, comes from his position. His, the second kind of power he has is the power of the palace. Let me hear you say palace. Pilate is used to a world, he probably was someone born into a family of some kind of means, and he kind of made his way through the Roman ranks over the years, and now he's ended up with this position, and along with that comes the power of a palace. And you know what a palace represents when I think of it? It just represents that power of comfort, of luxury. And sometimes we think if only we had the palace, if only we had a certain kind of house, if only we could take a certain kind of holidays, we imagine that somehow that might help us in life to insulate ourselves from some of the pains and challenges of life. It's so easy to be attracted to the power of a palace and thinking that in our kind of material success or wealth, we would somehow, uh, we, wouldn't, we don't walk around talking like this. We don't walk around going, you know what, I really want, you know, uh, I really want this uh, house and it's going to be exactly like this because I feel like that will make me powerful. No, we never say that. We don't say that. But the reality is sometimes it's easy. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to have houses. Houses are good things. Please don't hear that. But it's so easy to put our trust in the material comforts of this world. And to think that somehow that will give us power or insulate us from the pain of this world or insulate us and, and, and from uh, the, the challenges that are inevitable in life. It is so easy like Pilate to want to cling to the power of a palace. And then his third kind of power he has. Do you know what it is? It is the power of, I want to see if you knew, but I had to check my notes as well. Um, <laughs> It is the power of privilege. Let me hear you say privilege. Pilate, as I said, if you were to trace his life and autobiography, he probably came from family of some kinds of means. He went up through some of the ranks within the Roman kind of, you know, culture and structures and hierarchy. He probably made some connections along the way. He got himself appointed at some point to this position. Pilate was used to having privileges in life. In a Roman empire that was very stratified between, say, your peasant classes and the ruling authorities, Pilate was someone who enjoyed a tremendous amount of privilege, a tremendous amount of uh, being able to access the things he wanted, 
a tremendous amount of privilege that was related to his position. The privileges of palaces, the privileges of service. Just, you know, he was someone who uh, just, instead of life feeling like something that was futile and he was grasping at, for his day and in his era and his time, you, you couldn't have asked for a lot more. He may have wanted a slightly more elevated station or, or position or a different territory, but at the end of the day, he was part of this extraordinarily privileged group of people with what was it, their access. Now, because Pilate, because he has power in these forms, his position, his palace, the privileges he has, he wants to cling desperately to that power. If there's one thing Pilate doesn't want to do, it is to lose his position, his palace, his privileges. Do you know, in life, it is so easy to, and, and, and we all are given various things in this life and different responsibilities and things God's given us to steward. One of the great challenges of a life of faith or in life in general is to, to try to understand how do we not try to cling to those things? Because the more we cling, the more we fear the loss of them. Pilate is just doesn't want to lose. And so do you know what Pilate, he thinks he's got all this power. And so what's he say to Jesus? He says to Jesus, don't you know I have the power to either free you or to crucify you? Pilate believes he's got the power to do that. And yet that is the, the one thing he actually wants to do is to release Jesus. Three times he will say, I find him innocent. His actual judgment is innocent. His actual judgment is no reason to condemn him. He says he has that power to free him, but as much as he thinks he has that power, he doesn't. Why? Because all he wants is to cling to those things. You see, what Pilate knows is he's been sent specifically this time of year during Passover for one reason, to make sure there's no riots, to make sure there's no uprisings. Rome wants order. Rome wants peace. And so they, this is not where he normally lives all the time. He's been sent there to do one thing, to keep order and make sure nothing gets out of hand. And now he's got this riot on his hands. And all he wants by his own words is, I find no charge. I want to release him. Let me release Barabbas to you. That's what he wants to do. But he's powerless. Why? Because the more he clutches that power, because he knows if I don't eventually do what this crowd wants, they're going to riot. I'm going to lose my position. I'm going to lose my privilege. I'm going to lose my palace. And so he can't even do the one thing he wants to do. Because instead of fearing Jesus' words, effectively when he says, don't fear those who can only you know, kill the body but cannot do anything beyond that, is Jesus is, is part of his teaching that the only one we should actually have fear of is God. And if we understand who God is and we respect him as, as Lord and King overall, then we become free to do things. But when we actually are, try to cling to all the things of this body and this life and privilege and palaces and all those things we cling to, we end up powerless because we become just swayed and pushed back and forth by the crowd. And that's what happens to Pilate. He's just pushed this way and pushed that way. And for all his power, he just can't even do the one thing that he wishes he could do to release him and make this whole thing over. Because he knows if he does, the crowd, they'll riot and he'll lose it all. You know, now we're going to contrast. This is power the way the world usually works. The world wants us to try and hold on to whatever we've got, and it makes us afraid of losing it. And the more that ever happens, and you're like, yeah, I'm not a, a governor. I'm not a general. I'm not a prefect. I don't, I'm not, I know. But 
what we have to understand is this passage is trying to help us understand the human heart and the things that our hearts often cling to. Jesus, on the other hand, represents an entirely different way of understanding power. Go to those verses when, uh, when Pilate says to him, don't you know, watch Jesus, and we're going to understand power, what gave Jesus the power to endure all of this and yet have no fear. It says, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid when he heard that Jesus claimed to be the son of God, verse 8. Now check this out. This is what Pilate, you know, his, his wife, and Matthew's account tells us, his wife had actually said, don't have anything to do with him. He's innocent. I had a vision. I had a dream. Pilate is going into this whole thing with something underneath going, I don't want any part of this. And yet he can't bring himself to let him go. In verse 9, he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power to either free you or crucify you? Now watch this. This is... The power Jesus has is, is as much as Pilate is going to try and just cling to everything he can, Jesus has no problem going, you could, you could kill me, beat me, do all these things. Jesus is like, if, I'm not going to engage with you unless I want to. He's silent. And his silence is driving Pilate crazy. Pilate's like, don't you get it? But Jesus is like, I'm not going to engage you in this kind of, if, if you want to know, if you want to have a real conversation, Jesus is up for it. He's already tried to engage Pilate in conversation, uh, but he's not going to kind of be just drawn into this thinking that Pilate has the power. And Jesus answered with these words, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Now, pause for a moment so we understand the background. Jesus is silent uh, before Pilate, and Pilate's like, you know, Jesus says, don't you understand? You would have no power if it wasn't given to you from above. So Jesus is going to take the conversation and shift it and try and uh, bring it to this understanding of, of his heavenly father and how God is actually the one who has all the power and the authority and sovereignty over all human history. And he says, but the, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Uh, most commentators agree Jesus is probably referring to Caiaphas. He's saying, look, Pilate, you have a place in this, and there's some guilt that you're going to experience. Jesus says, the one who handed me over is guilty of a greater. There's more guilt, though, than just Pilate, you're, where you are in this story. Someone else has more guilt. And most people think he's uh, pointing towards Caiaphas being uh, the leader, the high priest, who orchestrated the plan to have Jesus handed over and going forward. Now, why this is so significant is because Jesus has an entirely different understanding of power. Jesus' power and the power he has to, to willingly walk through all of this for the sake of others and the purpose for which he came into the world. The reason he has the power to do that is because his power is of an entirely different, uh, entirely different dimensions. You see, one of the the keys to Jesus' power, and I've got three dimensions we'll look at, three different angles on Jesus' power, but I don't have three Ps for it, so you're going to have to pay close attention. They all have different letters. But here is the, the, the first thing you see about Jesus' power, is that his understanding of power uh, begins with entrusting himself to the sovereignty of his heavenly Father. His power actually brings him peace. Not because his circumstances are favorable, but because he believes that, in fact, all things are under God's hand. And that all the power Pilate thinks he has 
Jesus says, you wouldn't have any of this if it was not given to you by my Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus sees the sovereign hand of God over all of human history. And and what this uh, is combined with, but yet, because Jesus' understanding of that is not that that means Pilate has no guilt. Well, you're just a, a puppet. No, Jesus' understanding of how history works is that it all falls under God's sovereign hand. And yet, he says, someone else is guilty of even greater sin with the implication that both of you have guilt in this process. But Jesus' point is both there is the sovereignty of God at work here and the actual responsibility of human beings. But what Jesus has is the power of trust, the power of trusting in his, that God is actually over all things. And so it is not, Jesus can willingly walk through that which God has called him to because he can trust it to his heavenly father. Do you know how much more peace every one of us would experience in life if we walk through the, the circumstances, even the most challenging circumstances of our lives, Trusting that in all things, as God's word says, in all things, God can work for the good of those who love him. That both of these things can be true. That, that God is sovereign over all things, and yet he is not necessarily the cause of this bad thing or that bad thing, but that actually the humans bear responsibility. That both these things, but by choosing to actually trust that God is over it all is what allows us to have the power to actually have peace through things and not have to fight for all our rights all the time. What if we went through our days and our weeks with just that little bit more trust that, you know what, God can work even this out for his good. That is what allows us to say, you know what, I'm not a, if, if, if the worst thing that can happen to me is that they could kill my body, I won't be afraid of that because I know there is a bigger picture to life than just even this short time we have, however long it may be, we trust ourselves to the God who is over it all. And that brings Jesus' power, the power to say, speak if he wants, not speak if he wants. But Jesus will fulfill. And this is the second thing about Jesus' kind of power. It's drawn from also his purpose. Jesus isn't grasping to what he can hold on to, power or privilege or status. Jesus is holding on to his purpose for which he came. Jesus knows that all these things, John tells us, all these things had to be fulfilled so that Jesus could die the the death that he was always meant to. Jesus knows his purpose. And because he knows his purpose, he knows the reason for which he came. He knows what God has for his life. That gives him the power to stand before all the might of an empire. And instead of feeling he needs to fight for himself to willingly end up going to the cross. And even the cross, which was the symbol of all the power of the Roman Empire, in Jesus' hands gets turned into the greatest symbol of love the world's ever known. That's power. It comes from his trusting his heavenly father. It comes from knowing his purpose. Philippians 2 describes Jesus and says, you know, that he who was in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. didn't hold on to that. But rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He said, I can become obedient. He humbled himself. He humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's Jesus, he knows why he has come. He says earlier in the book of John, at one point he says, you know, that he has the power, he has, he can lay down his life and he has the power to take it back up again. 
so certain and secure is he in who he is? And this is the final piece of it because Jesus in all of this was secure in his identity. Let me hear you wherever you are say identity. Identity. Jesus knew he was the son of God. That's why he didn't need to fight about that with Pilate. He knew who he was. Jesus knew why he had come. And, and because of that, because he knew exactly who he was, because his whole ministry started with the father even declaring, this is my son whom I love with him, I am well pleased. Jesus so secure in his identity as the son of God, he didn't need to fight for his rights on that. Now here's what I want us to lean into as we behold Jesus. As we stop this morning and whenever you're watching and I hope and we, we stop and say this is who Jesus is. There are two things I think for us to really grab hold of. One is behold him. This is who Jesus is and be so thankful and full of praise and, and wanting to honor him. If you're a believer in Jesus, if faith is in Jesus, oh, behold him. This is Jesus. Watch how he stands against all the power of the Roman Empire. And why does he go through the scourgings, the beatings, the crown of thorns, the robes, all of it? Because of his great love for us, for you, for me. Even for those who were beating him. Behold him. And then be reminded that though none of us will do it perfectly, Jesus had to go to the cross because you and I cannot do this perfectly. We will make mistakes. I will end up afraid of things I shouldn't be afraid of. I will end up trying to hold on to, you know, things that God doesn't want me to hold on to. And I need to, you know, release those things and, and you know, get washed in his mercy and grace again and go for it. We'll never do it perfectly. But understand this. If you are a follower of Jesus, we should be growing in our capacity to follow Jesus in this way of life. Philippians 2 says, let your mindset, let your attitude be the same as Christ Jesus. And so you and I should, should be looking not for the ways the world looks at power, but we should be leaning into, am I, am I understanding my identity in Christ? Because guess what? In John 1, 10, it says, to all who believed in him, to who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So it's not just Jesus, uniquely son of God, but now says to all his followers, you too are a son and daughter of the king. Do you know your identity? Do you draw strength from that reality of this is who I am in Christ? I'm not perfect, but I am in Christ. I am a son and daughter. And I'm going I'm to start to say, God, I don't need to hold on to all this. I don't need to fight for my rights here. I don't need to hold, try and grasp at this and grasp at that. If I am your child, then I can walk freely in that. We can lean into knowing that life is not about holding on to palaces and, and privilege and, and all those things and positions. Life is about purpose. So God, what are you calling me to as your son, as your daughter? Are we leaning into the purposes? Are we actually going, God, how can I walk more and more in the purposes you have for my life this week? God, how can I release more and more trying to hold on to these things so that I can walk in your purposes? You know, if we were to follow Jesus in this way, what will happen is we will find ourselves, when we let go of, the, of looking at power and grasping at power the way the world does, and when we realize that true power is only found in Christ, 
and in following him that we lean into our identity, our, our purpose for which he has created us. Walking in those things. We will be different people. And, and, and those who follow Jesus and who put their faith and belief and trust in what he has done will now, as Philippians says, shine like stars in the night as we hold out the word of life. Our lives will be different. Behold Jesus. You know, I want to encourage you. This is the, what I'd love for you to do. In fact, why don't you stand up wherever you are. If you're at home, if you're down at Mullaloo, right here at Merrill, let's just stand up. And I just want to invite you to do these two things this morning. And the first one is just to behold him. I think one of the things we don't do enough, we can try and think about all the things we should do or not do or things like that. But just behold. I want you this morning, we're going to take a few moments to just behold Jesus. Like bring him to your mind's eye and in your heart and just reflect on what we know, the truth of the scriptures and thank him for what he's done and marvel at who he is. Behold him. And as you behold him and give him thanks and praise and honor in your own life, maybe take a couple of moments for confession and ask him, Lord, are there any places in my life where I'm grasping and trying to hold on to whatever kind of power it may be, whether it's the the privileges or the positions or the palaces of this world or, or whatever it is he might call to mind because he'll call that to mind and ask you to confess it, not because he wants to beat you up, but because he wants to give you freedom. He wants you to be free to walk in peace and, and follow after him. It's the way of life. So why don't you take the next couple of minutes and just spend time beholding him, reflecting on him. If there's anything he brings to mind that you want to confess to him to just say, Lord, I'm trying to hold on to that and grasp at that and making a power play. Lord, I just want to release that and I want to just realign my trust in you. Oh, do that. And then just give him thanks for his goodness, his grace, his mercy, and his life. And then I'm going to pray for us in just a moment that his spirit that he gives so generously and freely will empower each one of us to walk more and more in the ways of his kingdom. Why don't you take a couple moments in prayer. Lord, today we ask that the eyes of our heart be enlightened to see you more. Lord, today we give you thanks and praise just for who you are. Lord, we come to this moment. We thank you for your scriptures that allow us to step into this moment in time. And we pray that we might behold you there. Thank you that you were willing to lay it all aside to become nothing, a servant on our behalf, to rescue each one of us. Thank you. Praise you. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that as we seek to travel as your followers in this world, Lord, I pray that you would 
more and more fill us up with the power of your kingdom. Fill us up with the power of your Holy Spirit within, that we would not grasp at power the way our world does, the way our hearts are tempted to, but that we might walk more and more in the fullness of your spirit, that our lives might model a different way. Lord, I pray peace in each one of our lives. I pray we'd be a fearless people, not because of us, but because of you and for all you've done for us. So come, Holy Spirit, in each one of our lives. Fill us up and make us more like Jesus. In whose good name we pray, amen. Amen. You know, we're going to sing a song of response. You know, this next song, it's a song called Anchor, and, and it's about how there is hope in the cross. And, it, you know, I, I, we reflect on Pilate and his experience of life for all of us, it's so easy to be pushed and pulled by so many competing voices and noises and desires in life. And I love this song because it reminds us hope is found in the cross. And so I want to encourage you, if, if, if Jesus has been speaking into your life, make this a song of response to just declare that your hope is in the cross. There is an anchor for your soul. We don't have to be pushed and pulled by all these things. We can anchor ourselves in the cross. We can anchor ourselves in the hope. We can anchor ourselves knowing that the resurrection gives us a hope that no one can take away. That's why we can walk fearless. So let's respond to him in worship.